Initiate startup process. Now, all the way live. Hey, yo, <laughs> y'all know what this is. Damn, the most hip-hop and R&B. I want to introduce to y'all. It's the infamous. Call your friends and tell them it's going down now. It's going down. You understand that? It's It's live. Let's go. In five, four, three, two, one. Locked into another episode of the Infamous Hour. Of course, I am your host, Infamous Hour Days. But I think you would know that by now because you're watching the podcast hosted by myself. We speak about this a lot in, uh, in, in radio terms and just in general that podcasting is now the future of radio. I mean, it is what it is. There's so many different podcasts. There's so many different people having conversations. And I said to myself, you know what? I need to jump in this field because I have something to say. Make sure you follow me on all social media platforms at The Infamous Amadeus and follow the podcast at The Infamous Hour and always follow my guy, Boom Bap Nation. You'll know Boom Bap Nation if you've never seen him. You'll know who he is because when you're around him, you feel unsafe. He looks like he may, he's not going to shoot you. He's going to pull out an old school syringe that's probably used by a crackhead somewhere in Newark and stab you with that motherfucker. That's what he does. So my guy, Boom Bap Nation, okay? All right, different days, as you know, I always bring the exclusiveness. I always bring uh, special guests. And the person in front of me is someone that I actually met through the World Wide Web. I mean, social media is now a place where you can connect. You can um, meet people and you can create, you know, different types of music and art and whatever you're doing. So uh, briefly before I actually introduce him, I was presented a beat CD because I was looking for, you know, uh, music that kind of resonated with my sound, you know, 90s type of sound. And he's like, yo, this guy named Graphwise. I don't know where he's from, but he has this Graph Beat CD. And there's like 10, 15 beats on that I know you would like. So I um, I, I grabbed the, the, uh, the Graph Beats uh, CD. I don't remember which one it was. He had a song on there with a Prodigy on the hook. It was Carrots was the name of it. So when it came time to me to do my Cool G rap record, I said, you know what? I am going to use this fucking beat. Now, he's in front of me right now, so I'm going to honestly say that. I didn't care if, they, he, if he was going to let me use the beat. I was going to use the beat anyway. <laughs> I get a round of applause for that, right? Because hip-hop is always about taking risk because the reward may be higher than, than the risk. You won't know unless you take the risk. And we, we, we was able to create a dope record. And um, he lives in Canada, and they heard the record on the radio, and they tagged him. Is that what happened? It was That's, well, yeah. My talking to Mike. Talking to Mike. My uh, producer homie uh, just was riding one day, listening to Shade Four Five, and then he heard it and he called me right away. He was like, "Oh, what the hell? Like you're on Shade Four Five? Because he recognized <laughs> the beat and all that. So, yeah, he took a clip of it on his Instagram and all of yeah. that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I work in radio. Um, so I work in radio and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to it now, but I can imagine that feeling of first hearing yourself on the radio has to be, you know, like a, an adrenaline rush, like something that is energetic to yourself. It was crazy. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And then to find out Cool G Rap was on it and all that, mind-blowing, man. Crazy. My boys, get it from my guest Graphwise in the building. Um, you've been producing a lot of records, making a lot of noise out here, um, and you have like a real... Signature sound, which is very difficult in this time. Um, like, like, what, what, what do you use to produce records? You using an MP? Using a machine? What are you using? Yeah, right now I'm using the Ableton Push Two. Love that thing. Makes things a lot easier. You know, mm-hmm. I used to use the MPC 2000 XL and the ASR 10, like the old degree and shit. Just yeah. you know, I, I like originally way back I started messing around with like FL Studio, mm-hmm. but I wanted to learn like. You know, the way, you know, I wanted to do it the way DJ Premier did mm-hmm. and, and, you know, guys like Alchemist, stuff, dudes like that, mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to learn that way, mm-hmm. you know, because that was a sound that, like, those guys I studied a lot, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to still create, like, this sonic boom bap sound, um, considering nowadays this is not what's popular, you know, to the younger audience or to... FM radio, do you find it like a struggle to maybe say, you know what, I want to maybe create those type of records, or are you just like, you know what, this is my sound, I'm going to create it, you're going to accept it or not? Uh, Well, it's been crazy, like, how much things have changed, but I've just, 
been able to like kind of adapt with the times adapt with the times and all of that so you know like sometimes i might even make trap beats yeah. here and there just for fun you mm-hmm. know what i mean so i just don't want to be like in a box I like to keep my mind open you yeah. know you know so but i just do what you know i do what i want to do you know what i mean like i'm passionate about what i do so mm-hmm. it's just the way it is you know like and there's the ups and the downs you know because the way things change right but i'm still you know, I'll still make boom bad beats. Yeah. Um, the majority of the material that we're hearing from you, are they sample based records or are they original? Because when I hear yeah, them, I, yeah. it, I don't I don't know if it's sample because kind of the way they chop. Is mm-hmm. it, it? Are they yeah. samples or are you? Uh, yeah, like a lot of them are samples. And then up until like, I don't know, like a couple of years back, I started getting into making my own samples. Mm-hmm. And then I started really studying and, you know. Like, when I was younger, I would study Alchemist and Premiere, but then it turned into, like, I would study Klaus Schultz or, like, Vangelis, guys like that, mm-hmm. you know, the guys that made the samples. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to learn, like, how to make music like that so that I could flip it and then chop it up and sample it or whatever, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was getting, you know, just started getting into that here and there. Yeah. So, like, nowadays, sometimes I'll make my own samples, and then sometimes I'll use samples and all that, so, like from the record store. Um, that, so. Anytime we're like in a studio environment or we're around producers, it, it's always a, a conversation where it makes kind of feel like producers don't get enough credit for the body of work that's being put out by an artist. Do you think that's true or do you think it's intended to be that way? Um, I don't even think about it really. You know what I mean? Like, I'm cool with being, like, a background guy, you know, let the rapper shine and all of that, you know. So mm-hmm. as long as, you know, I can just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm happy, man. If, I, if I'm i able to, you know, work with the right people, you know, yeah. have friends and, like, meet new friends and all of that, find the solid dudes I can build with, you know. Um, yeah. We were talking yesterday about it might be a mistake for you know, artists in the boom bap lane mm-hmm. to not create commercial records. Um, when I, when I saw um, Griselda Records, shout out to Benny and, and Westside Gun and, and DJ Shea and people mm-hmm. on behind the scenes, um, that was like a prime opportunity for the boom bap genre because now it's like a separate genre. It's like it's broken down now. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was kind of like a prime opportunity for us to catapult into the forefront. But I mean, I personally think that it's a mistake not creating a commercial sound like to just have a rebellious um attitude it's all of us it's myself included it's not just um them or anyone um Mm -hmm. not creating a commercial sound do you think we should cross over like the lyrics that are left the um you know just real rap heads should we start crossing over and start creating more commercial records or at least take like the old school approach where it was like you had an album, but you would have singles. So you would have like your, your you know, your A single, your B single, and you have your R&B record. I just think just do what you want to do at the end of the day. You know what I mean? As long as you're passionate about it, like that's just how I think about it, you know? Um, who are some of the people you're working with right now? Because, I mean, you've been all over. Uh, we, we see it on social media. Um, uh, who are the artists that you're kind of mingling with right now? Right now, Teddy Andres. Shout my guy. My guy. Um, He's on 40,000 cans of Red Bull every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Teddy Andres, you. Um, oh, round of applause for me. I'm a rapper now, so it's like weird. Like. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm going to meet. Uh, I'm going to meet the producer, V-Don, on Friday. Okay, shout out to V-Don. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's yeah, got Shout out to V-Don. Um... Yeah, right, right now I'm just like, oh yeah, B.A. Bad, mm-hmm. definitely, he's killing it, Moff, mm-hmm. he's dope, um, yeah man, just a couple other guys, I can't think off top right mm-hmm. now. Um, So so the Graph Beats, uh, kind of like beat tape, mixtape series, is something that I'm sure many people know you as, uh, what was the concept behind it, was it kind of like just to put beats out? And to get guys on it, or was it like developed as like a mixtape series for people to listen to? Mm-hmm. How did you? What was the thinking process behind it? Yeah, that? like the original idea was like I was doing a lot of graffiti at the time, so with like Graph Beats Volume One, 
you know, that was just how I started it off. Like that kind of like people could listen to the beats while they're doing graph or whatever like that. Or like people that wanted to just find beats that they could rap on, you know, they could just use it, you know, no problem. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like for the people kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like still to this day, like people will ask like, yo, can I use this beat that's like off one of those beat tapes? And I'll be like, yeah, man, like you can buy it or you can pirate it, whatever. I don't care, you know, like either way, it's all good. It's kind of just more for the people kind of thing and mm -hmm. to just get my music out there. That was kind of the idea, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, th There's many producers that they upload their records to YouTube, like their production, mm -hmm. and then it gets ripped and then guys are using it. I mm -hmm. mean, but should producers get upset if a guy used their record? I mean, they did put it on YouTube. Obviously, it's for yeah. people to use the beat. But yeah. we find like a conflict between producers mm -hmm. like, yo, you stole my record. But isn't that the intention to get people on yeah, the record? Now nowadays, I wouldn't get upset about something like that these days. You know, like in the early YouTube days, like I would, you know, po post up beats here and there and like dudes would take them. But like I would only get mad if a dude like offered to buy it and then they tried to like, you know, they're just being weird, like making mm -hmm. music videos. And yeah. just, and if they're a whack, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like at the time, man, when I, that was when I was younger, you know, like I wasn't into that. But, you know, nowadays... It's different these days. If you're putting out beats on the internet, man, you got to expect it's going to get taken. You know what I mean? Are we dealing with, uh, so as a producer, um, when, when, when you're dealing with an artist or like, so let's say, let's yeah. say you do a record for my man Shot Boogie and Shot Boogie has a whack rapper yeah. on, on his record. Like, would that piss you off? Like, is it like a disrespect? Like, hold on, like you put a whack nigga on my shit. Let's talk the yeah, real I shit. Yeah, I don't know, man. Would I'm that piss you off? Like, are guns legal in Canada? Like, would you go and pull a pistol out on a nigga because he put a whack shit on it? Man, I don't know. I'm just trying to make crack. That's all I'm gonna say. Yo, shout out my guy Graph Wilds in the building. All right, real quick, social media where they can follow you at. Um, I don't know how to Graph Beats at, on Instagram and Graph Beats on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. and, and for the record, you've never been to a strip club here in New York. Nope. So today's going to be your first time. Yeah. All right. We have strip clubs in Canada, obviously, right? Oh, yeah. You know what? How are the women in Canada? Man, they're beautiful, man. Like, like, what kind of women do we have there? Are they, like, French? Are they, like, European? A mix, man. All kinds of chicks. Like, when a I go up there, like, what should though. I expect? Like, should I expect... Just a, just a lot of hot chicks. Dude. A lot of hot chicks. Um, the last time I went to Cancun... Yo, there was a lot of Canadians in Cancun. And I was surprised that they were all dark-skinned. Like, no, for real. Like, I, it, mm -hmm. are there, like, a, a different, like, a lot of people up there? Because I know, like, in Toronto, they have, like, a lot of Jamaicans. There's Haitians up there. Mm -hmm. Is Canada diversified like that? Yeah. It is? Yeah. There's a mix of people. There's a mix, yeah. Okay, that's dope. All right, get on top of my, my I guess, graph-wise in the building. Let's have to play one of your records. Right. And we're back on Infamous Hour here on Live 89 FM. What up, what up, what up? You know what it is, your boy Style Speed of Ghost. It's going down right here, Shade 45 Series XM, and you are rocking with my family, the infamous Amadeus, and this is what we do. Stay tuned, pay attention, don't turn the station. Ghost! Yeah, I'm good. Uh, you back here on the Infamous Hour. I'm your host, the Infamous Amadeus. Make sure you subscribe to the Infamous Hour on all platforms, Spotify, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, and shout out to Pandora. Pandora just picked up the Infamous Hour, so we'll be on there. And we'll be syndicating soon on FM Radio as well, so we'll have to clean up the shows a little bit. No cursing, no weed smoking, but we're from the hood, and that's what we like to do. All right. Shout out to everyone who also watches on BoomBatNation.com. Shout out to my guy Isner's in the building. Uh, you hear me talk about him a lot. If you see a guy that you're walking down the street and you feel like you're going to get robbed, that's my guy Isner's. And he's here. He's always supporting the infamous hour, so shout out to him. All right, right now in front of me, I got to give 100% props because there's not that many people that have their acting debut with Holly Berry. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Losing Isaiah... Was a big movie in the nineties. Yeah, super, super. Was it ninety five? Ninety, yeah, one, yeah, ninety five. I mean, so you came out the womb like ready, like yeah. yeah. This guy was ready. Give it for my guest, Mark John Jeffries, in the building. 
Um, so how did that whole thing happen? Because I mean, obviously you were young. Like, so did your parents like go through like a casting process to get you in that movie? Uh, yeah. So when I was like three weeks old, my dad got me into print work, and um, I went from print to doing commercials. And then when I was three, I got the audition for Losing Isaiah through my agent at the time. And I auditioned like nine times for that project just wow. because they couldn't believe that I was bringing the value I was bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. So they literally saw me about nine times. And the last two times, they flew me out to meet with the producers and directors and Halley and all that stuff. So, yeah, man, just through auditioning. Yeah. Um, obviously, people have seen you in a bunch of movies, Notorious. You, you've done some uh, voice work for, like, Spider-Man and mm-hmm. things like that. But I remember you from New York Undercover. Yeah. Shout out to New York Undercover. Word. New York Throwback Undercover, show. if you're not familiar with New York Undercover, it was a police crime series mm-hmm. in the 90s. And it really kind of captivated... Um, the world, yeah. uh, I think it was on Fox 5, I can't remember. Um, the final episode of New York Undercover when Ice-T got bodied was actually in my grandmother's building. We're actually staying right now, so round of applause for that. Oh, um, how did you get in New York Undercover? I mean, that was... Same thing. Yeah, it's same thing, right? Yeah. You know, like, that's the, that's the whole art of the craft. It's just going in and, and proving you better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, being now, better is not necessarily talent. That's the way to industry in general both in music and acting has transcended um or or, or i would say evolved to where now so many different little idiosyncrasies that go into the value a person puts out you Mm -hmm. know but yeah man back then it was just about proving you better than the next person yeah um i mean you've been in the the movie industry for a while Mm -hmm. um and it kind of seems like the music the, the movie industry is changing where we're getting like premier actors now doing stuff like specifically for Netflix, mm-hmm. in a sense, is it is this the right thing to do, or should people just say, you know what, I only want to do blockbuster movies. Let's keep it on the big screen. Nah, I feel like you got to switch it up. You know, like when you only do blockbusters and, and a movie's value or your value is now determined by how successful the movie is yeah. in the box office. Yeah. But now you know how many movies you want to see, but because life, you working, you traveling, whatever the case is, you can't go to the theater to see it. So what better way? Netflix. Yeah. Netflix is a way where the viewership is more so based on if the person wants to see the movie mm-hmm. and not really their schedule. You know, to set up a date to go to the movies, that takes time. You got to take three hours out of your day and find the time to do that. With Netflix, you'll be on the train, you could be in the car, you could mm-hmm. be at the doctor's office, you could be anywhere and watch these movies, you know? So I definitely feel like it's a power move for two reasons. One, Netflix is putting up a lot of capital to get those A-listers, mm-hmm. you know? So it's definitely advantageous for them um, financially. And then two, it's kind of safer for them because people are going to watch movies on Netflix because they're bored. Yeah. Nobody go to the movie theater and spend seventeen fifty on a movie because they're bored. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, I, I feel like it's a good way to get on that new wave. You yeah. know, Apple is coming out with all of these new shows and stuff. They got their own streaming platform coming. You got Disney Plus that just launched, and now they about to. They got their own content. You got Hulu. You got Amazon. You have um, uh, 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 Netflix, and there's another one that I'm forgetting. That's uh, oh, this is one people don't know about. Snapchat. Snapchat. Snapchat is is starting their own original content. Really. Yeah, man. Yeah. So that's the place to be now. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find it difficult to have a personal life because you've been in the spotlight so long as far as being an actor from a child? Um, do you kind of wish maybe sometimes you could have like a personal life? I'm sure you, you get stopped all the time. Or do you kind of enjoy it? Like, you know, I mean, what comes with acting? I, I, I'm not one for the fame of it. I, I don't like attention just for attention's sake. I'm not one of them type of niggas. Like, um... But it does come with the job, and fame leads to more work. So I don't mind it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got my personal life. It's just all about how you structure your your, your personal life to have that privacy. Yeah. And, and I have that. I don't feel like I'm, you know, missing out on anything. But it's moments where I'm like, dang, man, right now. But at the end of the day, it's what I signed up for. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. regardless of the fact that, you know, you hear people like, yeah, celebrities, they, they got emotions, too. They got feelings, too. Yeah, that's true. But at the end of the day, certain people are just happy to meet you, mm-hmm. you know? And my thing is, anybody that takes the time out their day to show me love, I'm going to show them love back. Mm-hmm. Like, even on my gram, if anybody, anybody, if I bump into anybody and they post a picture with me, I repost it on my story. Mm-hmm. And that's just because without that love, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. Yeah. 
Um, what what is the thought process like when you're preparing to become a character? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been in many movies. You've been in Notorious. You've been in Get Rich or Die Trying. You've been in even like the Cosby series, yep. uh, the, the crime series that was not confused with Bill Cosby, obviously the Cosby series. Um, what is the thought process like? Is it kind of like making an album? Like you got to get into a certain mode and uh, just live the character in a sense? Nah. I mean, for me, it differs based on the character. Like I just got finished with this project that's so far outside of anything I've ever done. And I had to train for that, but, but not on the acting aspect of it. I had to like do a uh, uh, dialect coaching and stuff like that. Learn how to simulate piano playing and things of that nature. So Sometimes you get projects where we got to go through that. Like mm-hmm. on Notorious, we did a month of choreography before we even started shooting. Wow. Just to learn how to move like the characters we were portraying. Yeah. But when it comes to the actual performance, I mean, nah, man. I just, it's like, I, I, I'm i blessed to be able to look at a character, read a script, make my points of relatability to the character. And then once I've done that and I've kind of wrapped my head around how I want to externalize them, now it's just doing it. So. Yeah. You, you, it's people that's been with me on set, and they're like, yo, I don't know how you do that. Because I'll literally be sitting here laughing, joking, talking about the Knicks or the mm. Nets game or a vacation I took. And the director's like, all right, roll in, roll sound. And I'm dropping into a heavy emotional scene mm. and switching it off like that. You yeah. know, so it's, it's just practice. Repetition leads you to that point where it becomes automatic. Yeah. Um, so by the time people hear this podcast, uh, it's going to drop Sunday and Monday is March 9th, mm-hmm. uh, which is the uh, death date of Notorious B.I.G. It's actually my birthday. Round of applause for that. Oh, I, ironically, my, yeah. my birthday is the day B.I.G. died. I was 14 years old. I'll never forget it. Right. Um, the Notorious movie, it got good criticism, bad criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you think they could have done different to kind of like fully navigate the story or were the, the writers trying to add drama to the story? Uh, I can't really say, yeah. you know, because I'm going to keep it a stack. I had never heard a Biggie song prior to doing that movie. Okay. Like, I, I didn't grow up on rap, you know, so yeah. I grew up on country music, dog, mm-hmm. and alternative rock, and, mm-hmm. like, I'm a little nigga that was listening to Avril Lavigne and NSYNC when I was little, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, I, I didn't really know too much about Biggie's narrative prior to doing the project, but I learned a lot through shooting it. Yeah. And um, I mean, people that was actually there with Big when everything was going down, Lil C's, Nino, Money L, yeah. all of them dudes, D-Rock, um, even Miss Wallace, you know, they were pleased with how the film came out. Mm-hmm. So if they were there and they lived it and they're pleased with it, who are we to say what they should have done different, yeah. you know? Well, another thing that people don't understand is that, one, it's a movie, so it has to have entertainment value. If certain things didn't carry a particular layout, they have to kind of change it so that way the movie has more value, you know? Mm -hmm. And two, aside from that, it's just life, you know what I'm saying? So people may feel like, oh, this was too dramatic, but if that's true to what happened, that's true to what happened. Now, to take away from that, now you're changing the man's narrative, you know? So it's like, if you're going to tell the story, you got to tell the story the right way. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't have any problem with it. I did hear about some of the negative criticism, um, more so in, like, people that they cast it for certain characters and just uh, it didn't really happen like that. But, again, these were people that weren't there. Yeah. So what you saw in the news, how are you going to take that and then try to say that that's not accurate to what actually happened in person? Mm-hmm. Um, people most know you for the Get Rich or Die Trying movie, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. Um, playing 50 Cent at that time, especially now that we we spoke about that you don't come from this background. Mm-hmm. So what was that process like getting ready to play like a, you know, this type of character that evolved into, you know, the gangster, into the music and stuff like that? Was it difficult for you to navigate through that or? Uh, nah. I'm, uh, all right. So I didn't grow up on rap culture. But I'm from the hood. I'm yeah. from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. 164 and Woody Crest. Oh, shout to the BX. You know what I'm like 1001 Woody Crest. Okay. I, I grew up, A Boogie and all of them grew up down, down the block from me. Yeah. We used to ball at Nelson Park when we were younger. So, like, that that is that is my culture, in mm-hmm. a sense. So, I understand it. And then my family, I got a lot of bug outs in my family. Um, so, it was easy for me to pull from real life. You know, like, I wasn't I wasn't a person that came from Idaho and I didn't know what, what what was what. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just the fact that that wasn't me personally. Mm-hmm. So I think what made it easy is because I experienced it, even though I was not living that. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and, and that's never been me. I've never been one to, to fake rap anything. I've never been that type of dude that had any trouble with the streets. But when you know people that do, now it just makes it a little bit easier to live live truthfully in the character because you live in their truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then aside from that, I had to spend time with 50 before I shot the movie. You know, so just picking up small things uh, from his personality now and then understanding why he that formed or what that developed from, it made it easier to portray it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, all in all, he wasn't, my character wasn't really mooly like that. Mm-hmm. 50 as a younger kid, that was his transition. Yeah. Like, even when he was, when he started selling, it was the fact that he was trying to find himself. You know, he was trying to find that new direction or have something else to focus on since his mom was no longer there. Mm-hmm. So the person that provided for him is gone, so now he had to provide for himself. And he learned lessons through that that turned him into who he was. Mm-hmm. So the earlier version of him, I, I didn't really have to be too much of a thug. You yeah. know? So uh, it's just a little fortunate, too. How was time with 50 Cent? I met 50 Cent one time, and, and one of the things that I definitely respected about 50 when he, when he came to the radio was when he was doing this interview, he kind of cared about what everyone in the room thought about what he was saying, mm-hmm. and he would let you know that by having direct eye contact with everyone. So mm-hmm. the cameraman, the board op. Um, what was that time like with him, spending with him and, and creating the character and, and living yeah, it? Yeah, that was dope, man. Honestly, 50 is a, he's a cool dude. He's a thorough dude, like very smart. Um, I remember the day, this is when he signed the deal with Vitamin Water. Mm-hmm. I was actually in the mobile studio, and we was shooting the project, and he was just explaining the deal to me and kind of breaking it down and stuff like that. So he's he's one of those people that he uses every opportunity he can to teach people where he can, you know? And despite, despite his background and where he comes from, he's sharp. He's a smart dude. So certain times people think that certain things he does is for no reason, but 50's calculated. Yeah. Everything he does, it's a reason for it. And it's still true to him, mm-hmm. but just know that there's a reason why he's doing everything that he does. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just I just learned a lot about kind of what we were speaking about earlier, right? Like who you actually are. And, and you can always be that. You know, in his private life, who he actually is is so different than the person or the persona that people perceive him to be, mm. you know? So that, that was just interesting to, to, to learn that and, and be able to take that in firsthand. Um, for the viewers that, that are watching right now, um, is there a difference between actually playing a character and doing a voiceover in a sense? You've done a lot of, you've done some voiceover work as well. So is it difficult to kind of like just do a voiceover based on something that you can't physically feel and touch at the moment? Or is it kind of one of the same, like reading a script and just portraying what you need to portray? Um, It can be different. It depends on the kind of scene. Because with voiceover, you don't... Sometimes with voiceover, you'll be in a room with a bunch of bunch of the other actors. Mm-hmm. So you can feed off of each other's energy. Also, you guys are, you guys are kind of like talking together. Right? Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. You know, like, it, 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 that can happen in certain situations where... Um, like, I was on Cosby's show called Fatherhood on Nickelodeon, Nick at Night. And a lot of times that we filmed, we were in the room with each other. So we were performing the scene and the mic was just capturing our work, you know? So that, in, in that aspect, it's a, it's easier because mm-hmm. it's just like being on set. But at certain times, you got to go line for line by yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to hear the playback from a person that recorded two weeks ago and it's beats, long beats in between every line. And then you got to fill that in, the emotion of it, fill that in, the emotion of it, fill that in. So it, it, it kind of differs, you know, but so it can be different in certain situations and in others, it can be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently saw you in power, mm-hmm. not, not that long ago. Are you satisfied with the way power ended in a sense? Like, could we, we all kind of assume that this is what it was going to be, but I don't think it should have been Tariq. I, I, it was so like known and just like played out that way. Um, do you think it should have been that they, they could have spin it, especially with the leak that happened? Because in the movies, we deal with a lot of leaks. Mm-hmm. Should, should we have spun it or do you think it was the right decision to say, you know what, let's just keep it the way it is, the way we intended? Oh. Uh, See that question right there? I feel it's the genius behind what they did. Because that little sour taste in people's mouth is going to have them searching for some type of redemption in all of the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. But if people get closure in the show, there's, real, there's really no reason to watch the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. So now that Tyreek was the one that actually bodied Ghost, 
Now you, uh, we probably spoiled it. If you haven't watched it, yeah. I'm sorry. They saw it by now. Yeah, they should have. You better have, right? <laughs> um, but being that Tyreek was actually Tyreek was the one that actually body ghost. Yeah. Now people gonna watch book yeah. two ghost. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just because it's like, oh, he body him. What they gonna do with him now? Mm-hmm. Well, he about to take over the family business. Mm-hmm. But for Tommy, I feel like his spinoff, and I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. So don't quote me on this. I don't feel like it's gonna be have anything to do with. That history, I yeah. feel like be he's going to be trying yeah. to move on from that, you yeah. know. So, how they ended power dictated how all the spinoffs were going to be. Mm-hmm. So, I guess they they knew where the direction had the most value for each spinoff, mm-hmm. and then they had to choose the killer to bring the best closure to that, but to also attach people to the new up and coming joints because yeah. well, they got three, four spinoffs. They got like five coming yeah. out actually. They got a few yeah. coming. I got Tariq. We got a, a Lorenz Tate. We, we mm-hmm. have a bunch of them coming out. And one of the interesting things that I saw about Power, um, they kind of like modeled after Marvel, creating like a universe. Mm-hmm. So is this kind of like where movies are heading? In your opinion, where we're gonna, you know, have a movie and then let's say like the Matrix, for example. So we have the Matrix. We got Neo. We got mm-hmm. Morpheus, and then we create different movies based on that. Is that where? The movies are ultimately heading to expand the lifespan of a picture. Oh, uh, I hope not. You know, I I hope not. Certain niggas, I don't want to see you on TV that much. Initiate. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna give you the stats. Like some of them, it's like, all right, bro, we saw you in this. Let that character go. Like, put that to bed. So I, I hope not. I mean, I, I am starting to see that trend where yeah. a lot of movies are trying to build like this universe and stuff like that. Is they trying to milk dollars out of the the IP, the intellectual property? But some of them just need to hang it up, man. Yeah. Some of them just need to hang it up. Like it's certain franchises that I be looking at, and I'm like, yo, this, what what what's this part nine? Like what? Y'all niggas need to get this up. Like let these characters die, dog. Let them let them die off. And then they bring them back with the prequel when they was younger. Like yeah. got the old nigga playing the younger yeah. nigga. Like come on, man. Yeah, it's, it's like fucking weird. Yeah, and shit. doing too much. Yeah. Doing way too much. Um, out of all the roles that you play, what would be y- your best acting performance? What would that be? Something you did on television, movies? I don't watch my work, so I can't say. You don't watch your work, nah. but why is there a specific reason why you don't do it? For me, I'm a perfectionist. You know, so. Uh, one of my mottos, just in acting, but both in life, is to have a better future. I presently trying to be better than I was yesterday. Got it. Okay. So when I look back at my work from yesterday, it's just cringy because now if it's a year later, two years later, that means that I've come two, three years down the line in my performance value, and now I'm looking back at the younger version of me that wasn't as polished as I am now. Mm-hmm. You know, so so then I become very critical of the choices I made and then sometimes when you do that you get stuck in your new roles trying to redeem yourself for the wrongs that you feel you did in your previous work Mm -hmm. so for me I kind of just like that's the character's life right I live it once I lived it that's in the past now we focus on the present and the future Mm -hmm. you know so I I don't I don't really watch my work so I can't say Mm -hmm. I can't say Um, we recently saw on on social media, um, the guy that played Joker and uh, what was his name? Joaquin. Oh, oh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, and he he made it. He made it a point to say that you know minorities. Let, let's not let's not just categorize as African American. We are all minorities. Latinos, we're all minorities. Uh, Chinese, we all are. Um, is this a real thing in Hollywood where they're kind of only focusing on certain people because of race or? Is it more like an opinion-based thing? Like, you know. All right. Let me keep it a stack. This is the infamous hour, first and foremost. This is. This is. This we talked the real shit here in the infamous hour. We're going to keep it a stack, right? And and my opinion on this subject is not popular, mm-hmm. but I don't care. Um, I feel like it's a two-way street. Because in the industry, you get you, you do have certain projects that are focused on, you know, people based on the fact that they not a minority, yeah. right? You got mm-hmm. that. But it's not always that. You know, like, look how many projects you have that do focus on minorities. Mm-hmm. Look how much content we have coming out that's minority-ran, minority-driven. You know what I'm saying? So, um, me personally, I feel like a lot of people create excuses or they find reasons why they're not. Mm. 
Because if you show, if you say, well, they look, I'm, I'm this and I'm that and I'm fire, I'm talented, and they not giving me no, well, I could show you a hundred people that look just like you that is on right now, you know. So what if they allowed that idea or that thought to keep them from pursuing it, regardless of rejection? Mm. Rejection is something we face every single day, but then once you face rejection. And you stop looking within to find out what you need to do to overcome that rejection. That's when you lost. Yeah. Once you start trying to put it on somebody else. Well, it's because I'm black or because I'm Spanish or because I'm Asian. And, and they, it's a white industry. That's not true. That's not true. Even though the majority of projects coming out or, or, or in, the pro, in the history of projects, sure, it's catered to white people. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's a white-driven industry. But... You know how many blacks are working? Mm -hmm. You know how many Asians and Hispanics and things like that are working? So just people create excuses, right? And then this is where I'm going to get real, real. What people forget is that all forms of entertainment is for money. Mm -hmm. It's the entertainment industry. So what the problem is that when a black project comes out, the budget is, let's say, $2 million. It makes $8 million in the theaters, right? Because... People are not going to support our own films. Mm -hmm. We're watching it on Fire Stick, streaming platforms. we bootlegging it instead of just going to watch our own films. So then now when a mainstream project or let's say a white movie, right, we're going to use these, these ignorant political, uh, non-political terms. Let's say a white movie comes out and the budget was $2 million and it makes $20 million. When this production company or the studio goes to make another project, what kind of movie do you think they're going to mm -hmm. make? The movie where they're going to see a $6 million profit or the movie where they're going to see an $18 million yeah. profit. Mm -hmm. It's simple math, you know? So it's those things, the unknowns, that allow people to feed into the ignorance of what it is and what yeah. it isn't. Mm -hmm. and, and like like I said, it, go bo it goes both ways. It does. You got the BS in the industry. Yeah. That's that's a fact. Of course. But why are we paying attention to that? Because mm -hmm. you, you're not going to change it by just paying attention to mm -hmm. it. What, what narrative are you changing? Yo, mm -hmm. this is how it is in the industry. Mm -hmm. All right, so now you mad, and you unfocused, and now you telling all these other people, that's like, yeah, that's crazy, bro. And guess what they doing? They focused on the stuff that you're complaining about. One of the things I always tell people, if you're not a player, nobody cares how you feel. If a dude that never played in the NBA want to start talking about, yeah, they put too many, too much minutes on the players, and and I feel like they should play sixty games. Nobody listening to that nigga. Mm -hmm. You work at Pizza Hut, bro. Mm -hmm. But now, if you're an NBA player, now you matter. So if you're gonna change the narrative, play the game first. Yeah. If you're not gonna play the game, don't complain, because mm -hmm. you're not doing nobody no good. You're only hurting yourself. So to piggyback off this a little bit. Um, I always find it a mistake that, that we kind of make as a general, like, you know, minorities in general. Like, you'll see, like, a black movie, and it's only targeted to a black audience. Yeah, and then you have a, a Spanish movie, and it's only targeted to Spanish of mm -hmm. Spanish audience. But these, quote-unquote, white movies are basically for everyone. Yeah. So should the directors kind of change the narrative? Like, yes, we're creating a, a movie that has African-Americans, Latinos, X, Y, and Z in it, but it's for everyone. Mm -hmm. Or should they just say, you know what, fuck that, this is what we're going to do, and we're just targeting our own people? Um, you know what I feel it is, honestly? I, I feel like, I just feel like that's that's cultural differences. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, between blacks and Hispanics and whites, we, we it's different cultures. You know what I'm saying? So, certain cultures are not for everybody. So a lot of times you get directors or producers that make a project and they want to make a, a project that's true to the culture. And it's like, unless you grew up in that culture, you're not going to understand it. So it's not really for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's say right now they made a movie, uh, uh, a, a Hispanic movie. I'm not going to understand that. Mm -hmm. But if you are from that culture or from the heritage, you love everything about it. So it's not necessarily that the movie isn't made for me. It's just that because I don't understand, I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? Whereas white culture is 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 different because that's something that people of all cultures live in under a day-to-day -day pretense because that's predominant, you know, in, in, in United States and even other countries. You know, so I, I do sometimes feel, though, that black and Hispanic films 
will unnecessarily play up stereotypes that I feel we should be trying to remove. And, and that's the only issue that I have with certain black filmmakers that find success, create their own projects, and then they keep rehashing the same stereotypes that we were complaining about before we were able to make our own movies. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so so what was all? What, so when you was complaining when they was doing it, why why are you still doing it now? You know? So, um, I, I just feel, man, like everybody always gonna have something to say. Yeah. You know, I, I try not to live in black and white. You know, I live in color, and, and the thing that's beautiful about colors is all shades. It comes from different places, and at the end of the day, you need each and every color to make the full spectrum. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I, I mean, black, white, Spanish, if I like it, I'm going to watch it. If they want me and it's good, I'm going to act in it. A, a lot of the roles that you've done have been, like, real character-based. Well, do we have, like, any action movies? Or, or are we going to start... Are we going to get you, like, jumping out of helicopters and, like, swinging off of strippers and shit? Like, what are we getting We have anything like that coming out? Any real, like, action-dope kind of films? Uh, so, first, R.I.P. to Kobe Bryant. R.I.P. Kobe Bryant. I'm never jumping out no dang on helicopter. I'm yeah. never getting in the helicopter. <laughs> Yo, the crazy thing is, I was on Instagram, and I saw this... New York City helicopter joint for like 60 off. So I'm like, oh, where? I might have to see what that's like. Yeah. There's a little helicopter mm-hmm. thing. The next morning, Kobe happened. Oh, man. I was like, it's a dub for these helicopters, yeah. boy. Um, I got a few joints coming up. That's coming a little up. a little action-based. I can't, I can't really talk about them in detail, mm-hmm. you know? But I got, yeah, I got one that's... Nice action based joint. That's yeah. kind of dope. Um, yep. And here at the Infamous Hour, we have like a lot of aspiring uh, to be in the industry. And you've you've been someone that's been here since a child. Like, what advice would you give to someone trying to come up, trying to break into this industry? First, love it. If you don't love it, go do something else. Do something you love. Because in this industry, it's a lot of noses and it's a lot of heartaches. And a person is not going to stay attached to the pursuit of something they don't love, you know? So if you don't love it, you're wasting your time because mm-hmm. you're going to spend a year, two years trying, and you're going to get the first big no right in your face. And then after that, that was all for nothing, you know? So that's that's the first thing. Um, two, information. Knowledge is everything, man. Magic Johnson once said that being successful is easy. All you need is knowledge. All you need is the information on how to do it. Mm-hmm. The issue is that people don't have the information, so they spend years trying to figure it out. But once you know how to do something, now it's just all about finding out how to do it. Or, or it's all about the process of doing it instead of finding out the how-to. So, so pretty much like, let's say me coming here, right? If I didn't know the address, imagine how long it would take me to find this place. I got to go on the internet. I have to find out the name somehow. I've got to be on Facebook typing in all the, the infamous hour. And now, hopefully, that's the right name. That's the correct spelling. Then I find it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, what's the address? Okay, I guess it's the address. Oh, oh, it's somewhere on Clinton Street. Now I'm walking up and down Clinton Street. So now by the time I get here, I might be three hours late. Yeah. I'm now out of bread because I don't spend money on Ubers and the train and the subway and food and all this other stuff. And then... Once I actually sit down in a chair, I'm so exhausted from my journey that yeah. I don't even got time to yeah, perform, give no energy for the interview. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if I had the address, that now t- takes a process that could take four or five hours mm-hmm. and turns it into 20 minutes. Because yeah. now all I do is take the address, put it into Google. Now I got directions. So I'm saving money. I'm saving time. I'm here. I'm focused. I'm motivated. And now we have a great interview. Right, but that's the value of information. It goes the same way. If I had the address, but I didn't know Google Maps existed, I remember when niggas had to go on MapQuest. No. My father used to have me riding shotgun with the MapQuest directions. <laughs> like you make a left on Thirty Fourth Street, you know what I'm saying? Like you made one wrong turn, you had to go back, and like it said, make a left. So, so now when you go back, make the right, and then go down and says make yeah, a right. It didn't so readjust itself. Yeah, yeah you know through, what I'm yeah. saying? Like you had to print out. So, yeah. um, that I, I, I feel like. Yeah, the value of information is everything. Mm-hmm. Do your research. That's the foundation right there. No no career can stand without a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. You can't just put the frame of a building up and expect it to be a tall standing structure. You know, and, and that's people's problem. They don't know how to do nothing. 
So now, when they're just taking bowel information, somebody told them to go do this or to go do that. First time that that doesn't work, they don't know what to do next. So now, again, you don't wasted your damn time. You know, so I feel too many people are too eager and it comes from a good place. But you got to make sure you you use your eagerness the right way. It's a process and you got to pay your dues. And if you don't do that, you're not really going to have no career. And that's in any field. Speaking of like having information, um, should should a up and coming actor take the route of going for school for theater, or should they kind of like dibble and dabble and say, you know what, let's go to the school of hard knocks, let's learn on the job? Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk to people like in, in general, they find that they actually get a better education hands on, but. Is, like, the proper schooling important when becoming an actor? Or can you navigate through just, you know, doing trial and error? Uh, it differs from person to person, honestly. You know, there's no blanket right or wrong. It's one of those things that is based on the person. I know people have gone to school, and when I say school, like college, you know, for acting, done a theater program, and, and it worked out great for them. And I know people that have gone and it was the most horrible experience they ever had. You know, I know people that never took a class before a day in their life. I never took no acting class, you know? So um, it's more so about the person, you know? Certain people that need structure, school is great for them because it gives you that structure, you're able to lock in, and then you just, it's that order, right? Order of operations. You do the same thing every time, repetition. Other people that are more creative I feel like certain school programs may stifle their creativity because it strips down who you are and teaches you a new way to think, you know? And if you don't, if you don't have a strong sense of yourself mentally, then you lose that aspect of yourself that makes you different than everybody else. So that's, that's my only problem with most institutions, um, especially for acting, is that it's so blanket that they're not teaching a person how to create in their own right. They're teaching you how to copy, you know? So then now you got 30 people in this class that when they perform the same scene, it all seems to, it comes out So the it's same not way. an original idea in a not sense. Not at all. You're just teaching someone uniformed. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Um. So what, what projects do we have coming out? We got some, some big movies coming out. I know yeah. you're flying out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know it's going down. What do we have coming uh, out? So I can't talk about too many of them, right? I can't talk about the ones on the rap. Uh, I do have one. I have... Two, actually, that are period pieces okay. that I'm the lead of. Um, I'm on a show now called City on a Hill on Showtime with Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, Ice-T's project coming out. Taheem Bryan's the director. It's called uh, Equal Standard. Mm-hmm. I have uh, The Fifth Borough that's coming out soon with the, some of the original dudes from The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so got, it's like a mafia uh, type of movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, I have... Uh, down to some more projects. I can't remember the name of some of these joints. Uh, I have Lit coming out. That's going to be a good one. It's a nice one. Got Chocolate City 3. Um, Dad, what else? Man, I have to look at stuff I did. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah I got, like, I got a, um, like six joints dropping. The final question. Do you prefer acting in a in a television film or do you act prefer to act like in an actual like featured project? Um, because it, it kind of seems like the television thing is kind of like where people are going. Like now we're actually seeing like like I, th- I think I see like Al Pacino or somebody uh, yeah. recently. Is Al Pacino that like he's in an actual like TV series mm-hmm. now? So is this kind of the wave of the future for actors to get into television or the feature film thing? Um, what, what do you prefer? You prefer to be on TV or film? I prefer film. Okay. Just because I don't like being tied to the same character for too long. Uh, I will do TV. I don't mind TV. Like on City on a Hill, I'm recurring. Yeah. Um, I, I I wouldn't mind being a series regular, but it just got to be on the right joint. Yeah. For, for me, I feel like I like film more just because I'm in and out of these different shells, right? So now I get to live through the life of three, four, five different characters a year mm. rather than be the same person for six years. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, I, I kind of don't like to be stuck in a repetitive cycle or to get into that routine of the same place, seeing the same people, yeah. the same character, the same emotions. Like I, I'm worried, too, that because I have not fully made that transition yet, 
ironically, to being an adult actor, mm-hmm. that if I get on a show and it's not the right character, I'll get typecast, despite all the work I've done. Got it. So, mm-hmm. movies. We, we, we live, um, just to piggyback off that, um, so a lot of people saw like Tupac and Juice, and mm-hmm. they kind of feel like him playing a character started to define him as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever find yourself in a situation where you're playing a character and it kind of like affects your real life? Like, damn, I'm kind of acting like what I'm playing on television or on, on the film. Uh, a little bit. I, I would say this, right? Because, yo, I was just telling telling this to my students earlier today. I, I got my own acting school. I own an acting school. And I was um, I had a class earlier with my students and I was telling them like, one thing for me is I always look for bits of myself in every character. Mm-hmm. So that's how I relate to the character, right? So like I was saying earlier, for Get Rich or Die Trying, I was exposed to a lot of that when I was younger, you know, being around people that actually live like that. So mm-hmm. all I did was relate to what part of it I understood the most and now use that to play the character. So sometimes on set, I realized parts of my personality that I never paid attention to before. Mm. Some of it I like, some of it I don't. So some if I like it, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to stay connected to this until I'm done shooting the movie, yeah. you know? But if I don't, then I'm like, all right, let me shake this off. Like, yeah. All right, cool. You know, so, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been yeah, there. It's a little bit of a thing. Yeah, I right, give it for my guest, Mark John Jeffries in the building. Uh, social media, YouTube, Twitter, where they can follow you, they want to get in contact with you. Uh, IG is Mark John J, Mark with a C, just the letter J, not the whole word spelled out. That's the same for Twitter. I do not have Facebook. Um, and I'm going to make a YouTube channel soon. I'm going to start doing that blogging thing. Yeah. Like my girl telling me it's about blogging. blogging. Yeah. Um, big big shout out to my girl Queenie Katora. Mm-hmm. Um, her her IG is Queenie Katora. Uh, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, big shout out to my son Liam Prince John Jeffries. Mm-hmm. His Instagram is Lee Prince J. Okay, Lee Prince and that's J. spelled out J A Y. And I'm the infamous I'm Dave. This is the infamous Al. Make sure you catch all these episodes: Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and now Pandora. And uh, make sure you check us out on Boom Bap Nation. Infamous Al. We'll be right back after this special message. Infamous Al Dave. I am here. I got something here. Some radio stations are hot, and some are not. Moving on up. We're back on the Infamous Hour. Once again, I'm your host, the Infamous Amadeus. Not to be confused with Amadeus, the pizza shop, or Amadeus, Wolfgang Mozart, or Amadeus from Bad Boy. Shout out to him. Actually, I actually met Amadeus from Bad Boy for the first time this year. And if you don't know me personally, you refer to me as Amadeus. But if, you, if you're in my circle, you call me Inf. That's what everybody calls me. And um, we've been in a lot of weird situations because he'll be in a situation where people may not know him. And they think he works at Shade 45. And then I'll be in a situation where they think I'm like this big time bad boy producer. But we are not one and the same. We're Bronx brothers. you know, So it's all good. All right. Right in front of me, we have Harlem Zone. You already know. Do we use it? What were you? Sheen on the beard? The beard is just fucking oh, nah, blowing I off the my, goddamn uh, wall. Black castor oil. Bro, you know that shit saying? blinging off the light blonde. Yeah, fresh I mean, out of the Jamaican salon. You know what I'm saying? I use the natural oils. Okay, so right out of the Jamaican yeah, salon, we go there. We just, yeah, uh, we, we get the oils. We, we, uh, the wild growth, black castor oil, you, jojoba oil, you, carrot oil. You. Oh my God. Give it up one yeah, time for Parasama yeah. in the building. Bro, thanks for having me. All bro. right, so there's a difference, there's a difference between, between these type of oils, obviously, for us non beard guys. Because beard. Beards are, are like big nowadays. So, like, right. it, is there like a selective process when going to uh, pick your oil? Well, for your beard? yeah. I mean, I can. I'm not going to be able to specify every single one, but I know that the jojoba oil is good for the bald little spots mm-hmm. that you're trying to fill in. Yeah. The black castor oil is for the richness for it to grow more, mm-hmm. and the wild growth is just straight um, hair promotion growth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you combine all of those, but make sure you put the black castor oil first. Yeah. You can't mix that with the two, because if you do, it yeah. will outweigh. It'll look like oil with water. Mm-hmm. The, so. the, the beard thing has kind of just came out of nowhere. I mean, they had beards before, but now, like, in the last, like, five years. Um, do you get more pussy by having a beard? Let's talk the real shit. <laughs> nah, I know, honestly. Because I don't, you guys, I, I don't you got, got a beard. Women, you know, Shout out to Teddy like the he's, a, he's never getting right, a beard. Right, now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I never. Mean, I lived in Philly he's for a He's never getting years. one. Shout Boogie got no hair. <laughs> 
So it, yeah. do, do you find do you find like you get more pussy because you have a beard or yeah it's more attractive to older women and whatnot wait now, time about older women yeah like in the late twenties mid thirties you okay. know the young ones they feeling it too because they see that's what's in style that's that's hip yeah now I lived in Philly for a minute for a good five six years so we've been rocking beards like this since high school yeah yeah so, so when I came back to New York because I also lived in Philly for a while and mm-hmm. I came back to New York when I was like 19 I had my beard so I'm like I might as well just keep it mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying because yeah. it also helps you out in the winter time too yeah, when course, it's cold yeah. as shit and the wind is blowing yeah you know what I'm saying? But long story short, yeah, I, it's definitely more of a um, male attractive feature to females. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of older women, like I had a weird situation last night. So outside of the new, uh, were you at the showcase yesterday? The new artist spotlight concert series? Nah, yesterday night I was um, actually um, recouping. Okay, well, lucky piano. you because I was there and I was outside and there was this woman that she she was like, she told me she was 53. And she was like, if I want to take a picture with you. And she's like... You know I've been fucking since the 70s, so I can fuck like I'm ready. And I, I got scared for my life at that moment because I don't know if I'm a fucker and, and like pixie dust just come to her pussy. Like, it was just weird. Like, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, you got to think about it. it. it was Some weird. older women, they on their last... Well, they, they well, on their last... Um, they on their last will. Well, they, they're veterans. They they're veterans. Right, they but I was scared. It was weird. No, I was scared. I didn't know what was going on. Like, I yeah. felt like following a sexual harassment suit. Because it was like, a hit. You never that. know. You know what I'm saying? All right, so you're from the east side of Harlem. Yeah, I'm on the east side right now. Okay, so the east side of Harlem, uh, Jim Jones is from there. Shout out to DJ Lord Sear, my guy. Yeah. He's from there. Uh, where are we in Harlem exactly? 119th uh, Park Ave. Uh, most of the time, though, I am on the west side, but I'll be on the grind so much to the point mm-hmm. where I'm working. I'm booking um, studio sessions. I'm doing showcases. I'm practicing on a piano. Mm-hmm. I really ain't got time for the streets. All I'm, all I got, only thing I got time for is the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That side of Harlem is still rough, though. I mean, New York City in general has been yeah, gentrified. Yeah, it's like on every seven blocks. Like you can't do shit around it. Like, like Taft that. Projects at 115. Right. I mean, there's a project across Carver, the street from there. Yeah, you got Lakeview. It, you got Schaumburg. You got Lehman. Yeah, it's, you, it, get me? you got Washington. It's rough, and you look like someone that doesn't really navigate in the streets, but. It's is there pressure maybe certain times when maybe oh, money's yeah. down? Like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to go hit the block at a pack. I mean, there's enough right. fiends out there. Nah, I mean, I'm going to be talk. honest with you. As far as me hitting the block when I'm down, it's like, I don't do that. Because when I go outside on some shit, I really get pulled over. From where I used to live at, around 119th yeah. Park Lex, yeah. it's like, they was getting into so much trouble around. It was like, yo... I can't even go outside and across the street without niggas looking at me suspect yeah. or stopping me and frisking me. Yeah. So it's like, damn, should I even waste my time out here? Should I just keep doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. So, so, so we were talking a little bit off air. You're still on the bars. Uh, a boom bat. Like, what type of sound yeah. are we getting when we hear a Parasama record? Yeah, when you hear Parasama, most of the time you will hear boom bat. I'm, okay. I'm definitely a um, hardcore hip-hop artist. But I've been um, stepping out of my lane, entering new lanes, opening new realms where I'm doing R&B songs, where I'm doing, you know, trap types trap type songs but still trying to throw my message inside of it mm. you get what I'm saying because right now boom bop ain't really getting acknowledged right now mm. it's this new music where people was doing the 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 mumbles and the humming and talking about a lot of drugs guns and money and shit and that's what it seems like the world wants to hear so mm. if these radio stations ain't getting no kind of play from other songs like boom bap for example they're not going to play it they're going to promote these other songs where they're making money from mm. now is it 100% their choice I don't really know. I'm not really one of those kind of... I, I'm not in that field. Yeah. But from what we've seen and what y- y'all were just previously talking about, you know what I'm saying, talent isn't really recognized like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all about what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. I saw an interview with 50 Cent when he was at High 97 and um, they, they kind of like edited it out so you couldn't really tell what he was saying. But he was basically blaming Ebro from High 97. Uh, people that's watching this right, right now. Right, and I've seen that interview. Yeah, so people are watching right now. Ebro, uh, at this time, High 97 was the biggest radio station in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ebro was the programming director at right. this time. Now he's the morning show host. And he basically was blaming Ebro for killing... New York music because they were catering to the South Sound. So now you have mm-hmm. the younger generation doing what they hear on the radio to right. potentially get on the radio. Is it a mistake though for if you ask me, artists to uh, DJs would, to do that? Yeah, it's a mistake for both of them to do that because, in all honesty, if you ask me, in my honest perception, and I feel like people will agree with me, it was both of their fault. You get me? You're the the program director. He's the hottest thing out in the street right now. 
being that you're the program director, you have a choice to promote that kind of music because music straight, spit straight to the soul is, is so potent. Yeah. So it's much more addictive than what drugs and crack is. That's yeah. what my man Black Ice said in Death Poetry Jam. Oh, shout out to Black Ice. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to oh, Black Ice. Guy. You know what I'm saying? So when you had them going back and forth, it's like, I'm happy they did that because now y'all playing the blame game. Mm-hmm. But in all reality, yeah. I can guarantee that they see that it was both of them that kind of made it worse because during 50 Cent's trial of coming up, Maybe, you know, that was truly what he was living. He mm. was a product a product of modern-day urban society where this is, was really he was rapping about. This is really the life he was living. Maybe that was all he knew. Now, years down the line, half his music started changing. You know what I'm saying? He started talking about, you know, candy shop and, you know, 21 questions and all of that. Maybe that kind of music was the way he was living back then, but the music that was more on demand, I was making him more money, was the drugs and gun lifestyle. Yeah. You get me? So that flooded the streets. And like you said, Hot 97 was was like the number one radio station. So for him to even flood it, they can't really blame each other. Mm-hmm. They got to take blame for it. When I was growing up, Hot 97 was was the, definitely the station that we all wanted to be on. And like I think the, the downfall of Hot 97 started happening when the whole Jay-Z and Nas beef went down. Because they kind of sided with Jay-Z and they had a whole show called The Takeover. And Nas, who ended up winning the battle, yeah, went Nas to Power Five One, and that gave it, you know, the kind of exposure. But for for like as an artist, should DJs play all types of records? And before you answer, a lot of DJs are limited because when, when they work at these different type of stations, they can only play certain records as playlists and stuff like that. Me at, at, at SiriusXM, I have the liberty to do that. But should DJs, you know? Um, not be afraid to take a risk to say, you know what, let me play this record because I like this record. And no, honestly, I feel like that's DJ's, um, all of DJ's responsibility to take that risk. Now, if it's really going to hinder your career where you play the wrong song or you play the wrong playlist of songs and it messes up your, your, your money income, then, I mean, I guess no one can really blame you. But this is the music industry we're talking about. This is hip-hop. Mm-hmm. And people get it twisted where... Hip-hop ain't just rap music. Hip-hop is b-boy. Hip-hop is poetry. Hip-hop is open mics. Hip-hop is poetry slams. Yeah. Hip-hop is graffiti. Hip-hop is breakdancing. You get what I'm saying? Oh, five elements so, of hip-hop. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So when it comes down to music, I feel like all elements of music should be played and should be given a chance to be heard. Because, yeah. say for instance, you take that chance because, uh, say for instance, uh, we're in the era of drug, guns, and money music. We play that one song that's talking about some real crafty, lyrical, elemental shit. And that shit just takes off. A Lupe Fiasco, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, Lupe Fiasco, some of his music was talking about. Hip Hop Saved My Life. Yeah. His third verse, three days from going back to, from selling crack or whatever the case may be. But there's lyrical artists out there out there who's really not getting that kind of limelight. Because the kind of era that we're in, look at the kind of music that's in demand. Mm-hmm. You get me? And I feel like that's kind of what I sort of suffer from. But the last lane you will see me in is talking yeah. about drugs and guns. I, I think what's actually in demand at this point in time is based on public perception because people don't listen to FM radio no more. So, I mean, we have five people in this room, let's say. Out of the five people in this room, how many, time, how many times do you get in your car and you put FM radio on? None. That's true. So we, we all we all basically go to a, to a playlist. I mean, we, we don't listen to FM radio no more. So there is still kind of an avenue for it, but the old school kind of way of doing it is like, I have to be on FM. I want to attack this DJ, that DJ. And guys are making mistakes by only staying in one lane. I kind of feel like that's the problem with hip-hop now. They're just staying in one lane. But ignorance, you know, piggyback on what you were saying, ignorance always sells. So even in my day and age, it was ignorance, and now it's ignorance. They just dress behind 808. Started off with two live crew and the big end two. Yeah, things like are we really learning from them? Yeah, like are we making the same mistakes? I mean, mm-hmm. look what happened to Pop Smoke. My mm-hmm. man wasn't even twenty one. Yeah, RP Pop Smoke. You know, RP Pop Smoke. You know, and he was. I watched the um interview with Angie Martinez. And with that, you know, he even said, like, in five years, he sees himself established. He even has love songs coming out. Maybe he was going to change that lane. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that he was yet another product of modern urban day society, but that's the life he was living. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The, the whole, you know, drugs and guns and getting locked up. And it's true. It's like yeah. a double-edged sword he was fighting against. We got to stay safe out here. Mm. 
we against our own people killing us. We against cops killing us. Mm. We against just white people trying to ridicule us, get rid of us, eradicate us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, you can't really, can you be that mad at him? Last but not least, he went all the way out to L.A. Yeah. And for something like that to happen, it's just... something like that to happen, does that really sound like a robbery to you? Yeah. You get me? Mm-hmm. We don't all, we don't, no one really knows all of the details, but it just sounds funny. And yeah. it's a sad thing. Mm-hmm. My man couldn't even, he, had, he still had his whole life ahead of him. Yeah. And, the, and with his sound, it sounded like he was about to captivate the city for a couple of years. Well, he changed the sound of, of New York City. I mean, there, there are only a certain amount of artists who have had a moment. Like Method Man, I mean, we could think of even Black Rob to a certain extent. Right. Whoa, there's some, but I mean, that that you can say what you want. But Pop Smoke has changed the way the younger audience is creating music. So round of applause for Pop Smoke. Yeah, right, right. so Paris I'm in the building. We have a new project coming out. What do we have? Uh, EP. Yeah, uh, um, I got a um, element. I got a project coming out called Element of Surprise, and I also had a um, ele- uh, a project coming out called Endangered Saying. It's like so many things I'm working on because it's like. What do I have to do to get that chance? You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm 28. I'm pushing 30. And it's like talent ain't really cutting it no more. It's about what the population yeah. wants uh-huh. to hear. You uh-huh. get me? I don't want to go into the drug and guns lane. That's not my That's uh-huh. not my forte. My brother just survived five gunshots. My pop survived gunshots. Uh-huh. You get me? I would be damned. Look, look what's happening right now in music. I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. Yeah, now, there are a few... Um, Punchlines where I am referring to, you know, drugs and all of that and guns, but you never, it's never going to be the whole song. It's only a metaphorical thing. Mm. You get me? So it's just like, you know, what do we do at this point? Yeah. That's why I say, you know, as long as you're doing what makes you happy and what's in your passion, that's all that really matters. Because, in all honesty, to, to be honest, fuck a deal. God gives me what I'm worth. I'm making money off of my, my the little bit of money off of my streams. All right, that's fine. But now it's like I'm spending a lot of money on these studio sessions. I'm trying to win first first place in these showcases. You know, I kind of need this money back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here really taking chances. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? All right, so uh, real quick, with a debut record, what's the social media? Social media, you can find me at Paris Zama, Paris.Zama, you know, Facebook, Paris Zama, every music streaming platform, Paris Zama. Paris like Paris, France, Zama, S-A-M-A. All right, get up for my guest, Parasama, in the building. I'm the host of the Sama Days. Make sure you catch all these episodes on www.boombapnation.com, Spotify, iTunes, and shout out to iHeartRadio. This is the infamous hour. We'll be right back. <laughs>